How are you guys doing this morning? You good? It's really good to be together. We're uh, starting a study of the book of 1 John around here. And in 2020, everybody remember that year? 2020, I started listening to the book of 1 John on repeat as I was doing the yard. And I listened to it, I don't know how many times, but it was just looping over and over again. And it was like medicine for me. It was medicine for a very strange and depressing time for me. And I remember finding really great hope and reassurance as I listened. And I wanted so badly to go through this book together as a church family. So it's only taken us three years to get here. But we're here, baby. We're going for it. All right. Have you ever um, had a really fond memory? And you think about it, and you're like, oh, that was like the best of the times right there. And then you sit down with someone who was there, and you start to reminisce, and it was like, oh, I didn't realize that it maybe wasn't the best of times. There was a lot of other things going on that I just kind of blocked out of my mind a little bit. Or if you have ever watched a movie, like, in your earlier years, and you're like, oh, that movie means a lot to me. It's like, it was really good. So you want to introduce your friends or, like, your children to it. And so you sit down, and then you press play, and you're like, oh, my word. I forgot the explicit content that is inside of this. Ryan uh, led a youth group here in town for several years, um, several years ago. And uh, he, he has an affinity for Back to the Future. And so he said, oh, we should show Back to the Future to the youth, youth group. We'll have like a future night. So you get dressed up in like space clothes and like, you know, it's great. And we hit play on that. And oh, my word, it's rated PG, but PG in the 80s. And so the amount of cursing and sexual content is unbelievable for a PG. Things are just different. Things were different back in the day. If you've ever read First John... It is easy to remember the reasons why we love it, why it's so near and dear to us. 1 John 1.3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, or God is love. 1 John has the highest concentration of the word love anywhere in the Bible, saturated with it. In fact, 1 John is referred to in church history as the epistle of love, and John himself is referred to as the apostle of love. That's a good title to have. Over and over and over again, as we read through this, what we're going to see is we're called little children, beloved children. It's so tender, so kind, it's so loving. But as we dig a little deeper and as we revisit the whole book, we're going to find some other words in there and some other scriptures in there. Do you know what other word John has the highest concentration of in the Bible? 
Antichrist. Antichrist is talked about a lot in John's writing. John has some tender things to say, and he also has some very straightforward, semi-tough things to say. 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You do not need a Bible degree to interpret what this means. You don't need to know an ancient language. It's pretty straightforward. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar and you're not a Christian. Thank you, John. All right. Sounds good. The problem that we have, I think, with this short book of the Bible is a problem that we have often with the whole Bible. And that is that we love certain verses. We love certain scriptures. And we grab onto those, man, and we just hold them so tight and we cling to them and we slap them on coffee mugs and we put them on our mirrors and, oh, yeah, we build our life on those things. But we don't always stop and consider the wider context of what's around that verse, who that verse was written to and the occasion that surrounds those particular verses that we love so much. And if we don't do that, we're in danger of actually missing the whole heart of God and what he's trying to communicate to us. We don't want to be those people here at Radiant Solari that stop short of what God's actually saying. We want not just what's familiar or friendly with the word. We want the whole counsel of God here. We believe, along with the majority of Christian history, that the Apostle John wrote this letter. John is an OG disciple. He was one of the 12. He's the gospel writer of John. He's also referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. He referred to himself as that. John is also the only living uh, like disciple left, and so he can get away with those kind of shenanigans of calling himself that because there's no other person around to throw a flag. Hey, bro, he loved all of us. Like, stop that. It's weird. Nope. Getting getting away with it. John is one of the sons of Zebedee, also known as one of the sons of Thunder. So he and his older brother, James, uh, were maybe a little bit hot-headed. Anybody, like, shoot first and ask questions later? This is your guy right here. But he goes from a son of Thunder to an apostle of love. Isn't it amazing what Jesus can do with a life? John wrote this letter to a group of believers in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. So he's in the Middle East writing to churches in the Middle East. He's been apostolic oversight for, of these churches for many years. He's in his 80s now. He's an elderly man, and he's still going strong. So he was exiled on an island called Patmos, and he had a revelation of Jesus, and that made it into the Bible. You should check that book out as well. He's now back in Ephesus, he's in the Middle East, and now he is writing and overseeing and contending for the church that Jesus is building in the Middle East. All of the churches that he has direct oversight and contact and who he's writing to, all of those churches are only 100 miles from Ephesus. Little circle, massive impact. There's a lot of things in here, I think, that some of you, it's like you should just hear this, like... You want global impact, but 100 miles, we're studying this today. 
100 miles. He was in his prime, 88 years old. He was going to live to 100, and he had plenty to say and plenty to encourage the church with. This is a bit of John's farewell tour, this letter. And he has a lot of tender and tough things to say to these beloved children of God. The church is going through a rough time. It's going through a bit of a split. People are leaving the church. People are believing very wonky things about Jesus. And not only are they believing it, they're also coercing and teaching other people to believe this. And they're leaving, but they're leading other people to leave the church as well. And John speaks to this slippery slope that he's witnessing within the church. And I believe is still alive and well today in our church. There's this pattern that happens that John speaks to, and it's that first you become deceived, and then you deny the truth, and then you depart from the fellowship. This is absolutely still a trend and still a slope that we can get onto today. People will hear something about God that God never said about himself. It's not found in Scripture. It's found in special revelation that they got. God whispered this to me. The problem is there's no backing in his actual word to show that that's true. Yet we believe it because it fits us really well. It actually gives us permission to do what we've been wanting to do. And so we twist and manipulate and bend and coerce the scripture to work for us. We're deceived. That's not what he said. It's not what he meant. But we believe it, doggone it. It sounds good. It sells. It gets me where I want to go. The next step in deception is that you have to then begin to deny the truth that you do know. What was happening with these groups here in, in the Middle East is that they were saying Jesus wasn't God. And you could see how that would be a big problem for the rest of your faith. They, were ha they had a huge issue with the body. It's all about the spirit. It's all about the spiritual side of life. And all of the body side, the physical side, it's just bad. That's a problem when God becomes flesh and blood. So they begin to deny, well, you know, Jesus is one of the ways to God. It's a big world. It's a lot of stuff going on. It can't surely just be one little narrow path, right? Well, then you have to begin to deny the truth that you do know. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's one way to the Father. You have to begin to just erase that or rip that out or just say, oh, that's not what he meant. And when you get into that thick of the weeds of denial, then you just depart because it's just uncomfortable to be around. And then you start saying things like, well, if you would just progress a little bit, you would see the truth. And the truth would then set you free. Well, you know, it's not you're, you're stuck in some old tradition. It's okay. Maybe you'll get a special revelation and then move up to the level that I'm at. I got to go. It's really kind of stunting. So you can either depart from the actual fellowship and church body that you're a part of and go find another one that lines up a little bit closer with what you believe right now. But most often, people just peace out on faith altogether. It just becomes too much, too hard to handle. 
and then they start podcasts. John didn't know about that part yet, but. John isn't writing these letters to try to convince the people that are leaving. Like, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. He's not trying. He's not upset. He's not going after them. What he's doing is he's speaking to the ones who remained. He's speaking to strengthen their assurance, to know that they know. This is what John is writing for. There's two bullseyes. There's two handles, I believe, that he's writing this letter for the church there and for us, church now. John is writing to encourage believers towards right belief and right practice. This is what he's after. And I believe that John's message is clear today for us as well. This is what he's spurring the church on then and spurring us on today now to stay the course. Stay the course. John, with his tender and tested truth, puts before believers this series of tests in his letters to help us know if we're actually walking in the way of Jesus. Tests are given to show what we truly know. It's not, they're not given for anxiety's sake. Some of you students may not believe that, but tests are given to show what we really believe is true. Tests are from God. And these tests were given to expose, expose false beliefs that people started to gather. They're also given to expose false teaching, like, and that's not, that doesn't line up with what the Scripture actually says. And then these tests were given to ultimately expose false teachers. Do not give your ear to those people. Pay no heed to what they say. Who can be trusted? What can be trusted? There are so many voices And it's magnified now in our time. So many voices. Which one's telling the truth? And so John is calling this church to continue in what they've heard from the beginning. He's not saying, hey, look at this new, upgraded, shiny, like, hip thing that's now we're doing as believers. Check it out. We've we've upgraded our system here. We've gotten into modern times now. Nope. He's saying don't waste your time looking for an upgrade. Return to the orthodoxy of which you've believed. Return and let your heart and your actions and your belief and your practice get an upgrade based on what truth has been taught to you in the beginning. John in his fatherly ways gives us ten tests and questions to help us know where we stand. So if you want blessed assurance, then we should check these gauges, these areas in our lives. It's tiny on the screen. I apologize. You can like zoom in on your phone. Integrity. You want to know if you're walking with Jesus, walking in the way. Check your integrity. 1 John 1, 6-7. Am I walking in the light I have? I know there are things you don't know. (laughs) There are plenty of things I don't know. I don't have a clue about, but there are some things that I do know. There is light that has been shown upon me and on you. Are you walking in that light? Humility. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. Will I admit that I'm a sinner? I just got a personality problem. 
look, I got some trauma I'm working through. Uh, is it sin or is it not sin? Test this in your life. Obedience, am I obeying his commands? 1 John 2, 3-5. Love, am I forgiving those who wrong me? 1 John 2, 9-11. Priorities, test your priorities. Am I primarily pursuing eternal rewards or earthly rewards? 1 John 2, 15-17. Your perseverance is a good test. Do you stick it out or do you bail out? 1 John 2, 19. When things get tough, do you stick it out? Do you stay? Or do you hit the road when things get a little rough? Jesus is a good test in your life. Is he the Messiah or is he a Messiah? Is he the Lord of your life or just a Lord? Is he the way that you're walking in or just a way that you've added to your life and kind of borrowing some pieces. Sin is another good test. First John 3, 6 to 10. Am I making progress or am I making excuses? Well, it's really hard, you know. It's hard. Like if the devil didn't invent yoga pants, I'd be doing fine. Like be fine. I'd be so much stronger. Well, if this social media wasn't here, I wouldn't be comparing my life to others. Like it's that's the problem. Are you fighting tooth and nail with the truth to live as God's called you to live? Authority is a good test. Do I respond to the Bible as God's word or as good advice? The Holy Spirit's a good test for us. Am I being changed from the inside out? 1 John 4.13, are you working really hard on all the outside stuff to try to make something happen inside? Or are you walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Is your transformation coming from Him and not just from all of the stuff? John's a good papa, and he's telling the truth, and he's pouring out love to those who remain, and he's helping us by testing our beliefs. He wants us to make it. Because God wants us to make it. Stick with me. Stick with me. John's a good father in the faith. He's also a good teacher. And good teachers don't just point things out and hand out tests. That's not very good teachers. And we've got great teachers in here. So you know what a good teacher is like. Good teachers lead students into knowledge over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we have very, very, very short-term memories. We just need it over and over and over again. John knows that there's no formation without repetition. He's a good teacher, like many of you. There's a lot of repetition in this book. A lot. And I think it actually helps us know where our focus should be. What we need to hone in on. The two most frequent words used in John, I believe, for us as we set sail into this, as we walk with the Holy Spirit through this text, I believe are the two places we need our focus laser pointed on as we go forward. 
the number one word mentioned the most in John. Does anybody have an idea of what it is? Everyone's very afraid of this test. It's okay. It's okay. God. God is the number one word used in John's letter. 62 times this word is used. And if you include the words the Father and the Son, it totals right under 100 times he mentions God. This absolutely communicates to us where our first and foremost emphasis should be as we listen to what he has to say. It, it's simple and it may feel like too easy, like this is really like kindergarten level stuff here, but it is the truth. The Bible is a book about God, first and foremost. Everything in here. You want blessed assurance, you get obsessed about God rather than obsessed about yourself. We're tempted, as we discuss tests and where we stand, to make it about us. But the Bible wants to liberate us and teach us about God. The weight is on him. John Calvin famously said, there's no true knowledge of self apart from the knowledge of God. You absolutely matter, but you matter because of God. John is a living example of this for us. His letter is saturated with God. He's at every turn that you go into this letter. His letter's filled with him, but more than that, John's life is filled with God. This is what Eugene Peterson writes. St. John is a theologian whose entire mind is saturated with thoughts of God. His whole being staggered by a vision of God. The world-making, salvation-shaping word of God is heard and pondered and expressed. John is God intoxicated, God possessed, God articulate. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is everything to John. Everything hinges on him. And John's first piece of advice is this. If you want to have blessed assurance, know God. Know him. Come to know who he really is. We don't walk with a set of beliefs. We walk with God. He leads us and teaches us. Jen Wilkin is a fantastic Bible teacher, and she knows our tendency to make things about ourselves. And so she designs a Bible study with this, I think, is a very helpful framework for us. And it looks like this. Knowing that God is blank shows me that I am blank, therefore I will blank. I think we have a, a, a slide of that. Knowing that God is blank shows me that I am, and therefore I will. So knowing God is first. What does this say about God? When we know that, well, then we'll know something about ourselves. But it actually doesn't end there. That's not like the great landing point, like, oh, I finally know who I am. I can be the truest version of myself. <laughs> All right. Do you see the third and final step? Therefore, I will. The, final, the great final frontier for us is transformation. 
is maturity. That's where we're headed, not just knowledge of, oh, yeah, okay, that's who I am. No, 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 what now do we do in the knowledge of who God is and who we are? If you want to make it, you have to get focused on God. There is absolutely much to do in your life. I understand. But we always return our focus to him. We always walk with him. Just like in this letter of John, the most common word that you bump into everywhere you turn is God. So it should be in our lives. Whoever enters into our life, what should they bump into at every turn? God here, God there, God in this, God in that. We, we put him on everything. We put everything through him. This is the way it should be with us. The second most mentioned word in John, anybody know what it is? Love. Love. Jesus? I like that. 46 times this word is used as a noun and a verb. It's John who famously tells us that God is love. But John isn't saying that love is a quality that God possesses. He is saying that love is the essence of God's divine being. This is who he is. He's not trying to be loving. He is love. And therefore, everything he does is loving. Everything he says is loving. It's not tough love. It's just love. So let's put Wilkins' framework to work on this. Knowing that God is love shows me that I am made for love. Therefore, I will walk in love and love those around me. Do you see it? It's got to start with knowing who God is. And then we know, oh my goodness, we know that love from God is way different than love from the world, right? The love that God is is a sacrificial love. It's an others flourishing love. And we, we are the joyful beneficiaries of that love. We're the joyful receivers of that God of love. And then we've always become, when we receive that, the joyful givers of that kind of love. Love is paramount for us. There may be a lot of other things that, you know, we get really busy with in life or we think are really important. And there is an importance to other things in life. But listen, nothing compares to love reigning supreme in your life. Another father of the faith reminds us this in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and the knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. There's a lot of important work that we do as Christians, but it is nothing without love. John knows that if we're going to have right belief and right practice, the two main things that we need our focus dead set on 
is knowing and growing in relationship with God and knowing and growing in this love. John is the last of the Mohicans. He is the last of the living first apostles. He's in his 80s. And he's about to pass the torch to the next generation of apostolic leaders and evangelists and prophets and teachers. Have you ever been a part of a company where the founder is now handing over the reins to a new CEO? Or have you ever been a part of a school where there's like an admin who is just of legendary status? I mean, they have built something of culture, a, a, a system that's like unheard of, and they're retiring now, and someone's got to come and fill those shoes. Whew. Everyone is holding their breath and wondering what happens next. This is the moment that John's in. And you can feel the weight. Please feel the weight as we listen to 1 John together, as we listen to the Holy Spirit teach and lead us in our season. John's writing as a good father in the faith. He has devoted his life to Jesus and to Jesus' church. He's sending out letters to exhort, to strengthen, and to bolster what Jesus is building. He's partnered with his best friend for so many years. And as John is sending out letters, he's also getting letters. And he's getting letters that tell him of each and every partner and friend who's been killed for teaching and preaching this gospel truth. James, his brother, beheaded by Herod Agrippa near Palestine. Simon Peter, crucified, upside down at his request because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Andrew, Peter's brother, crucified on an X-shaped cross. He wasn't pierced, he was bound in Greece. And for two days he was there, starving, beaten, waiting to die, and for two days he proclaimed the gospel to his captives and led two of them to Christ before he died. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, was skinned alive and crucified right down the street in Turkey. Jude was beaten with clubs and then crucified. Matthew was staked and speared to the ground after questioning the morals of the king. Philip was tortured and impaled by iron hooks in his ankles. And hung upside down to die. Simon the Zealot was sawn in half. Thomas, the great missionary to India, was speared to death by the natives. John Mark dragged behind a chariot, mocked mile after mile until he died. Luke hung on an olive tree. Paul beheaded in Rome. James half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe him, was thrown a hundred feet off of a wall after he repeatedly refused to deny his faith in Jesus. 
He survived that fall, and then they beat him to death with clubs. John has survived all of his brothers, and he stands alone. He stands to strengthen a church that faces the same persecutions from the culture around them. And to strengthen and encourage those who are fighting off idolatry inside of the church and poisonous theology that's seeping into her bones. He spent his whole life watching Jesus build this glorious church. And to it he writes, 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at with our hands and touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Hold fast to the truth you know, precious little children. Do not shrink back. Do not chase after false teachings that tickle your ears. Try to make you something greater than the one who rescued you and redeemed you. Over and over again, we will hear the charge of the loving Father that we have in heaven through a loving Father sent here and placed here to help lead the church. Over and over again, we'll hear the Spirit tell us to fix your eyes on God. You want freedom and liberation. Look to him first. Let love reign supreme in your life. Let it saturate everything you do. Be confident in what you know because of who you know. Jesus, he who was and is and is to come. Father, we ask that you would help us. (laughs) Lord, would you strengthen us in these days? Would you guide us? Would you protect us? As you set a table before us, would it be filled with truth and knowledge that would lead us to freedom, God? Would you vanquish our enemies around us of fear Jesus, we fix our eyes on you, and Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would help us as your church here in Tulare keep our gaze fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.